1: Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside The Box of Oddities.
2: So we're doing this episode from inside a blanket fort. Yep. Yeah, we're uh, still in the hotel, and uh, in order for us to knock down some of the uh, bouncy ceiling sound, I made a blanket fort with pillows and uh, and a quilt, and now Haggis wants to come in here with us. Hi, buddy. Come on in, Hags. <laughs> it's been a bit of an adjustment uh, living the three of us in this hotel room, but um, I'm adjusting. One of the things that that Cat has been doing to uh, keep Haggis entertained while we're out running errands is she'll scatter uh, little dog treats about the uh, the floor, and I find them every night at 2 o'clock when I get up to pee. In my bare feet.
3: At least it's not Legos.
2: That's true. Those are lethal. There should be some sort of a warning on Legos that it could cause permanent damage to the insole of your foot.
3: Other than that, though, how are you sleeping?
2: Uh, I'm sleeping pretty well.
3: I'm really glad to hear that. Not too badly. I've been sleeping well as well, uh, except for the nightmares. But, you know, other than that.
2: You had a really weird nightmare you told me about. It was. It involved you and me and one of your best friends, yeah. and that you had gone out to uh, run some errands, and you came back and you caught me and your best friend snuggling, mm-hmm. and uh, then you noticed that while you were gone, mm-hmm. we decorated your Christmas tree. <sighs> And you were furious about that. I was that.
1: pissed.
2: Cat was more upset about somebody <laughs> decorating her Christmas tree than her husband potentially making out with her best friend.
3: <laughs> I just couldn't believe you the audacity <clears throat> that you guys thought you could decorate my tree.
2: I know that. Dream me is dumb.
3: <laughs> You're not, though. You're a very smart man. You have a story for me?
2: Would it surprise you to learn that humanity didn't really see the color blue until modern times?
3: I feel like this is a familiar concept. I
2: mentioned this to you, I think, uh, maybe a year or two ago, but neither one of us followed up on this. And there are some things in the world that you take for granted Mm -hmm. as human beings. Number one, grass is green. Uh, Number two, water's wet. Number three, the sky is blue. But evidence suggests that... uh, We, as a people, did not start seeing the color blue until about a thousand years ago.
3: Oh, wow.
2: Back in the late 1800s, William Gladstone, he was, uh, actually, he was the prime minister of England four times. Uh, He was also a scholar of Homer's Odyssey. He was obsessed with the epic poem that was written in uh, the 8th century BCE. Uh, During one of his many readings of the Odyssey, it occurred to him that he never saw the color blue mentioned. Homer never mentioned the color blue anywhere in the text. Oh, wow. And it's, that's
3: a lengthy text.
2: <laughs> it's, it's dense, yes. Um, now, it's not that Homer didn't write colorfully. He certainly did. He, sure. he used lots of colors to describe things. Between the Iliad and the Odyssey, uh, black appears 170 times, white about 100 times, red 13 times, and yellow and green uh, about 10 times each. But the color blue, not once.
3: Hmm.
2: Not once. And when you consider that uh, most of the Odyssey takes place at sea,
3: <laughs> Why? <What>? Right.: <laughs> uh,
2: that, That's really quite astounding, you know, with the sea being all blue and stuff.: Hopefully.: So Gladstone took to a ponderin. He thought that uh, it, well, a thought popped into his head that perhaps Homer was colorblind. Maybe Homer couldn't see the color blue. That would make sense.
3: Right. My dad used to see blue as white. Really? Yeah, which made Dr. Mario very frustrating for him.
2: So Gladstone checked other Greek literature and he noticed the same thing. Nobody, nobody mentioned the color blue. Not once. So, of course, the next logical assumption that he would make is that all Greeks were colorblind. Oh. (laughs) Um, And perhaps they were at the time and then evolved to see the color blue. Sure. Well, a decade would pass until a man named Lazarus, Lazarus Geiger came along. Now, Geiger was a philologist, a person who studies ancient texts. Mm -hmm. Geiger noticed what he noticed was that the Greeks weren't the only ones who never referenced the color blue. He went through uh, Chinese, ancient Chinese stories, old Icelandic sagas, and even the original Hebrew Bible Not one mention of the color
3: blue. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Yes.
2: So then he decided to really dig in and find out what colors were mentioned and how frequently Mm -hmm. and in what order they were mentioned. And what he found out was that uh, pretty much with every language, it was the same. What he found was first you get black and then white Mm -hmm. and then came red and then maybe yellow and green. Blue was mentioned very, very, very few times. And this was uh, pretty close to what what Gladstone had discovered about Homer's epic poems. It it lined up pretty well. So what's the deal? Did we just evolve to see the color blue, like about a 1,000 years ago or so? Could it have been that, that humanity didn't evolve the ability to perceive the color until modern times? Well, not exactly. What we're discovering is that in the early stages of language, the divisions between colors was much much broader. Sure. For example, Homer described the sea, the color of the sea, uh, this way. He called it a dark wine sea. He described wool on a ram as dark violet wool. He also wrote of green honey. And this wasn't just artistic or creative license Mm -hmm. on, on his part. Those words would encompass not one, but a lot of colors. That we're used to today.
3: There was no mention of puce, is what you're saying? No, or mauve, for that matter.
2: (laughs) The words that they used to describe colors described a series of colors. And it wasn't until modern times that we started breaking the colors up and, and assigning them individual
3: names. Sure. And blue just wasn't a category that was acknowledged?
2: Right. And and they think that the reason because of that is in nature, blue doesn't show up as often as green mm-hmm. or reds right. or, or whatever. It's still kind of the issue today, too. In Russia, for example, they don't have a single term for the color blue. English speakers, of course, consider different shades of a color to be the same color, like light blue mm-hmm. and dark blue. But in Russia... Dark blue and light blue are two completely separate colors. Right. Yes. And it's just as stark as stark a difference as blue and green would be for English-speaking people. Mm-hmm. So it's not that they didn't perceive the sky uh, as the same color that we do. They just described what we call blue in a different way. There's a book called Through the Language Glass. Uh, why the world looks different in other languages. It's written by a guy named Guy Deutscher. And he agrees that uh, the reason that blue didn't show up as frequently is because it didn't appear as frequently in, uh, in nature. Mm-hmm. So they really didn't need a word for it. In fact, there's only one language, one ancient language that has a distinct word for the color blue, and that's uh, the ancient Egyptian language because they used blue dyes.
3: right? So they that
2: was specific and important to them, so they had a word for it, but that's the only ancient language we know of that has a word for the color blue. And even though blue doesn't show up as often in nature as green does, for the love of God, the sky is blue and it's about <laughs> the biggest thing out there. <laughs> Deutscher decided to conduct an experiment on his daughter. Yeah. Sounds weird. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, When she was very, very young, he never once asked his daughter what color the sky was. He did teach his daughter all the colors, but he intentionally never mentioned the color of the sky. Mm -hmm. So after a period of time, he was pretty confident in her learnings. So he took her outside and he pointed to the sky and he said, what color is that? And his daughter had no response.
3: Oh, really?
2: She didn't know. He would ask her what the colors of other objects were, and uh, she knew. She didn't hesitate. Mm -hmm. She knew all the colors correctly. And she
3: could identify blue in other circumstances, just not in the sky. Right.
2: If he pointed to uh, something else that was blue, she would say that is blue. But because he had never told her Mm -hmm. that the sky was blue, she, for some reason, didn't see the color blue.
3: So that's really interesting. Do we see the sky as blue just because we've all agreed that it is?
2: That's my point. Exactly. What is reality? It's what the majority of us...
3: (laughs) It's gone so much deeper now.
2: (laughs) Whatever the majority majority of us say is real, that's what we consider reality is. So it took her more than four months before she could come up with an answer. He asked her once more what the color of the sky was, Mm -hmm. and she finally did answer him. She said white
3: right because she has the same color blindness that my dad had
2: apparently it was another entire month after that before she would ever call the sky blue for the first time but even then she kept going back and forth between white and blue she wasn't really sure she did eventually decide that the sky was blue but it took her a, a full six months after she had been first asked to identify the color of the sky
3: well the color of the sky does change quite a bit and it's a very light blue many times and there's lots of white clouds in it sure. often so I can certainly see how that would be confusing
2: so there is a distinct connection between language and our perception of everything mm. around us uh, Lazarus Geiger again by the way one of the coolest names ever very cool he said quote here A whole world of antique relics for our investigation lie hidden, not in fragments, but in unbroken, well-connected links. The whole chain of development of each of our ideas up to its most primitive form is lying buried before us in words and is awaiting excavation by linguistic science.
3: Yeah, it's incredible how language shapes our culture and how we perceive things.
2: Most of my information came from Time Magazine, the Smithsonian, Ripley's Believe It or Not. Uh, now I've got Eiffel 65, I'm Blue, stuck <laughs> in my head.
3: Beat on my bone, I always darling. thought that they were saying,
2: I'm in need of a guy.
3: Yeah, well, you do that with a lot of songs.
2: I'm blue, I'm in need of a guy, I'm in need of a guy. That
1: works. And now, that thing in the middle.
2: Back in July of 2013... The Tulsa County Sheriff's Office was called to a public washroom of a park because of reports of a body seen floating in the septic tank. A woman and her seven-year-old daughter said they saw the body floating face up in the toilet in the outhouse type facility. In the police report it said, quote, Ranger Hayes stated that he removed the plastic stool and toilet seat by lifting it and at that point a white male stood up and talked to him. The arresting officer said the man was standing with his head through the hole covered in feces. The man was helped out of the hole and cleaned off with a fire hose. He claimed he'd been knocked unconscious by his girlfriend and then dumped in the toilet. The police report stated he had no injuries consistent with those claims. Kenneth Webster Enlow, 52, was charged with being a
1: peeping Tom know why it's been so long since you've heard new liners like these? Because someone's been a little lazy. This is The Box of Oddities.
2: I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids and they live about 3,000 miles away and my daughter is expecting a child and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame and since i can't be there to experience it with her it's the next best thing and speaking of mothers if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life aura frames are beautiful wi-fi connected digital picture frames it allows you to share and display unlimited photos it's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the aura app And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura frames, and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best selling frame. That's a-u-r-a-frames.com. Use code oddities at checkout to save. That's aura com, and use code oddities at checkout and you will save. Thanks Aura Frames for bringing my family a little bit closer. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece. If you put your pants on, I'll give you some fresca.
3: And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them.
2: Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help.
3: Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings, while kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills.
2: Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely, thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible
0: way.
3: I don't know, like a quarter or something.
2: Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together.
3: Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free.
2: Greenlight.com slash oddities.
0: Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Support for The Box of Oddities is provided in part by listeners like you on Patreon. You can support us too. Go to patreon.com slash box of oddities. Thank you. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth.
2: Tracy sent us a message on the old Facebooks. She said, uh, I was doing the dishes for my family at 45 years old, and my 80-year-old mother comes over and lays three different style Trojan vibrators on the counter. One was unboxed. She said, quote, here, these are for you. I don't like them. She goes on to say, my adult daughter told me that she wanted a vibrator for Christmas and sent me a picture in a text. I said out loud in the room, which my father was in, quote, you don't ask your mom for vibrators for Christmas. <laughs> and then I said, and why are they so fucking expensive? <laughs> to which my 76-year-old father said, hold on, I have some in my magazine, and he pulls out a Carol Wright mail order catalog. I never knew. <laughs>
3: That family is amazing.
2: Fits right into the Freak family, that's for sure. Thanks, Tracy. And now, love of my life, what you got for me. And I I hope you have something ready right now because it's getting awfully hot it under this It is very
3: warm in here. This blanket, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so we like to dabble in genealogy, your we're, family more than mine. We're
2: dabblers for sure when it comes to genealogy.
3: Oh, yeah. Um, and we know how it can change someone's life. And this is a story about... Just that. Thomas Edelman lost touch with his father after his parents divorced in the early 70s, and he really didn't know that much about his family's history on his father's side of the family. So that's why he was doing some genealogy. As he was growing up, he had heard rumors about his family's business and thought that it was possible that it was previously owned by German Jews who were forced to sell to his paternal grandfather, Oh wow, Willem Edelman. So on September 15, 1935, the Nazi regime announced two new laws, the Reich Citizenship Law, the law for the protection of German blood and German honor. And these laws informally became known as the Nuremberg Laws. And the the law, the first one, the Reich Citizenship Law, um, basically defined a citizen as a person who is of German or related blood. And that, that meant not Jews. And that meant because Jews weren't full citizens, that suddenly Their rights in Germany were not full rights. In fact, in the first six years of Adolf Hitler's dictatorship, Jews felt the effects of more than 400 decrees and regulations on all aspects of their lives. Four hundred. Four hundred. Holy shit. They systematically took away their rights and property. The Reich citizenship law uh, specifically restricted Jews from the German economy, making it legal to confiscate their property or buy their property without consent, which is stealing, um, for much less than what it was worth. So anyway, in recent years, Thomas said that he found Nazi tax records confirming that his paternal grandfather, Wilhelm, had bought the hardware store in Bad Mergentheim in 1938. The store over the years had become a successful chain of hardware stores that still exist to this day. The original store... It no longer exists, but the building still stands and his family still owns this building as well as numerous other properties in town. Thomas, though, has no stake in those businesses. He got a call from a salesperson at MyHeritage.com, which is where he was doing his genealogy research, and he happened to mention the records that he found regarding that hardware store now, this guy was just calling to discuss his subscription. He you know, basically wanted to up to the premium package or whatever <laughs> and uh, ended up being pretty fascinated by Thomas's story. So he led the genealogy company to actually tracking down the original owner's relatives, the owner of this building and this store. Two weeks later, they reached back out to Thomas Edelman. They said that they had been able to track down the information regarding the original owner, Benjamin Heidelberger. Uh, they found in 1942 his naturalization records from British Mandatory Palestine, and they were able to find uh, images of his gravestone alongside his wife Emma's gravestone oh. in northern Israel. Wow. What's more, they had discovered that Heidelberger had a living granddaughter, Hannah Heinrich was an 83-year-old retired teacher. So Thomas Edelman, having just learned this all about his family business's history and the information regarding those they had purchased this hardware store from, reached out to Hannah Einrich through MyHeritage. He wrote, I believe that if my family supported the injustice of your grandparents' experience, it is our duty to take this into account and take over responsibility, at least in getting in touch with you, to listen and to learn.
2: Wow. Wow.
3: As I am part of the Edelman family, I want to take the first step and I want to listen to you. Knowing that uh, someone in Hannah's position might not want to speak to him, Thomas continued, I do understand that you might not see any benefit for yourself in personally talking with me. But with me understanding and being able to teach my children and possibly other family members about the impact of particular historical decisions, this might help them to make better decisions in their lives.
2: Particular historic decisions. Yeah. That was very softly put.
3: Right. Well, he also commented on current events and uh, the rising atmosphere of anti-Semitic rhetoric and hate crimes in Germany today. Mm. He said, our political climate in this country is poisoned and there is a new anti-Semitism upcoming. I want to make sure that at least my family will never again be responsible for injustice experienced by others, but stand up and take part for the week. Nice. So after receiving Edelman's letter, Hannah agreed to talk with him. And soon after, they spoke in German on the phone. Hannah knew all about the old family shop and actually had a black and white photo picture of it hanging in her apartment oh in Israel. God. Hannah had been very close with her grandfather and she was able to share his side of the story with Thomas. In the fall of 1937, she said her grandfather said, we sold him our house for 10,000 Reichmark though the asking price had been 15. In July 1938, we sold our shop and warehouse for the bargain price of 28,500 Reichmark, the same sum for which I had bought it 30 years earlier. Oh, my God. Under different circumstances, Hannah's grandfather had said, I could have sold it for 40,000, but back then many Jewish businesses were sold under value. She said that Benjamin Heidelberger often spoke of his former homeland and wrote in his German-language diary, My business successor, he called him, Wilhelm Edelman, came the first of every month to pay rent. And even though he was a member of the Nazi party, he was a decent man and not an anti-Semite. Oh, wow. In his diary, Heidelberger wrote, One day, Edelman came to me and said I should leave Germany as quickly as possible. There were plans in place to act against Jews, and he felt obliged to warn me, his good acquaintance.
2: Oh, wow. This gets better and better.
3: Hannah's grandparents used the money from the forced sale of their store to flee Germany just two weeks before Kristallnacht. Sadly, her maternal grandparents remained in Germany and died under the Nazi regime. This of course blew Thomas's mind. In a sense, his grandfather had helped their family by telling them that they needed to leave Germany. He
2: may have saved their lives.
3: And in a sense, he was a part of something that was killing millions mm. of others. Mm. Hannah said, Thomas was very moved. He said he was so happy to hear the story from my side. He was almost crying. Though Hannah said she'd understood Thomas's grandfather to be a decent man, although a member of the Nazi Party, Thomas said he still felt very uneasy about his grandfather. I know my grandfather, he said, was a very good businessman. When he was a student during the 1920s, he was already a member of the Nazi Party, which was before Hitler came to power. So I don't believe he was such a good man. I'm not 100% convinced. I doubt he didn't take advantage of that situation. And Thomas noted that although Hannah's family was treated very badly, she was very friendly to him and didn't hold him responsible for anything. Thomas and Hannah have stayed in touch, and Thomas hopes to visit Israel in the future.
2: Oh, I was, I was hoping you'd say they fell in love and got married.
3: Oh, well, there's quite a big age difference there.
2: Oh, Um, that's right. She's 83. Yeah.
3: Edelman had said that it was very important for him to teach the history to his 15-year-old son. He said, I want him to understand what history is and what history means. Although he doesn't have anything to do with this story, it's our ancestor who has impacted the lives of a whole family who had a life in this country. I want him to learn and understand whatever decisions he makes has an impact on someone else's life.
2: That is beautiful. And boy, do we need to hear that? I know that's a story that really resonates right
3: now. And the thing is, like, he could have learned about his family's history and just kept that to himself and and known it and moved on. Right. But he felt it was his responsibility to reach out to this woman, this eighty-three-year-old that his family had wronged.
2: Did he give her back the building?
3: It's not his to give back.
2: Oh, it's not. It's no, it's he in his family, but right, he doesn't he's have not control. Yeah, yeah.
3: He doesn't really have a relationship with his father.
2: Oh, I see. Okay.
3: I want to thank Don and Keeley for sending me this story. Uh, I, I believe someone else did too, and I'm sorry, I, I lost track of, but several people did mention it, and I'm so glad that you did. I was researching this in the lobby of this hotel and crying <laughs> as people were checking in. <laughs> so that was really nice. Uh, but I got most of my information from CNN, Times of Israel, New York Post, and Come The
2: thing that really got me about that story is that for some reason, it seems that in so many ways, we have forgotten that we're all people. Mm. And this gives me hope for humanity when I hear stories like this. It's great.
3: Yeah, it's amazing how easily we can change focus. um, And and look more at how we're different than how we're the same. And this is a great example of how we are, we're, I mean, we're all the same. God, that's amazing.
2: So I'm looking at the um, calendar, and we are rolling up. On our live New York show, it's only two months away.
1: So
3: excited!
2: (laughs) Well, yeah, yeah, it's like what eight weeks, nine weeks, something like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, tickets, of course, are on sale. If you can't make the show live in New York, it's going to be streamed live at the same time. So, at the same site, you can buy that. You can buy live tickets. You can also buy virtual tickets and watch us fail miserably in the Big Apple.
3: (laughs) Theboxofoddities.com.
2: And our apartment's going to be ready early, earlier than they told us. So mm. we'll be moving in on Monday, which is the day this, this uh, episode drops. So next time you hear the box of oddities, it'll be from our new Orlando studio and not under a quilt at the element.
3: It is so hot in here. It
2: is so very hot. We'll see you next time.
3: Until then, keep flying that freak flag.
2: fly it proudly, you beautiful freak.
1: And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. The Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories, stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. The on Facebook at facebook.com slash Box of Oddities Podcast. On Twitter at Box of Oddities, and Instagram at Box of Oddities Podcast. Copyright 2021, all rights reserved.
0: If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one?